Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you guys checking out this episode. I wanted to talk a, a bit today about uh, some of the work that I've been doing around recording video clips. It's been going kind of well through uh, part of October, and what I've been trying to do is uh, for like the early mornings and well, yeah, like plenty of times in the afternoon and stuff too. But while I've been out on like uh, some traveling stuff and while I've been kind of just kind of heading out of the house early in the day to kind of head out and do some photo stuff or some outdoors stuff, what I'm trying to do is stop in places that I go off and stop in places that have like landscape scenes and get long B-roll clips of video. And what I'm kind of trying to do is get a... I haven't really done this before. It's kind of silly, but, um, but like, you know, there's all the places maybe I'd go take a, a photograph of. What I'd like to do is sort of uh, get a, a long clip of video in most of those locations, too. I sort of did something kind of like this with the 360 cameras when I had those for a couple weeks. Uh, I think that's maybe like a little more than two years ago now when I was first working with the uh, the 360 Fusion camera. We'd, we'd pop over to the coast, up to the Cascades, to Crater Lake, to some of the desert uh, spots that you can go to, like Fort Rock or Smith Rock. Um, so that was kind of cool getting to, to check that out and make some videos in those, uh, those areas out there. Uh, but what I want to do is something kind of similar to that. Uh, to make sort of a, a set of B-roll videos from a bunch of these different landscape locations, either around here in the Willamette Valley uh, or what I've been working on while I've been camping is uh, a bunch of stuff like out uh, in eastern Oregon toward the desert. And there's a lot of cool views out there that people, you know, I guess normally don't get to see if they're, they're kind of staying more on the I-5 corridor in the the Portland uh, Willamette Valley area. Uh, so it's cool, yeah, getting to go out and try and get some video clips and stuff. I've been trying to get a lot of forest pieces, too, while I've been going out into the coastal range. Like I was talking about last week, doing some chanterelle picking and stuff. So I've been trying to get some, some longer kind of uh, just like set up video clips of that. Some stuff of me uh, like moving around and, uh, you know, sort of doing like, I don't know, environmental setup stuff for, for B-roll for some other more personal stuff. But, uh, but yeah, kind of like trying to, to just be at the camera, you know, in the chair sort of and set up the shot, get it ready to go on a tripod have the scene laid out in front of me and then just get like a long capture of what was going on in that location and just sort of how things move around for a couple of minutes. So that's kind of cool. Like uh, I like kind of, kind of doing that and it's been pretty easy, especially like if you're getting up early, you can get kind of pre dawn light, you know, you get that early blue hour stuff. You can see a lot of the, uh, or you, like you can see Venus up in the sky, at least while it was clear. A lot of the mornings it's been like a little cloudy or a little like mixed in the weather and stuff, which is also pretty interesting. And I kind of like getting some, some clips of that too because I don't really have many photos or many clips of that. So I'm kind of trying to mix in clips and photos. And it's really difficult too sometimes when you want to be capturing uh, some of both. You know, you want to be shooting photographs, but also have like a, a couple videos going at the same time. And so that's why I'm kind of trying to use a few cameras to be capturing uh, some kind of form of video for this it doesn't really have to be like the, the 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 most perfect file for a video so it's really okay if it comes from a good cell phone shot that's set up on a tripod for a long period of time capturing the color well i can edit that mp4 into something just as well you know five minutes of that into a, you know just a quick clip of that into some kind of document i'm trying to use too so if it means i can use my camera and be shooting and then also have uh, like a phone or you know some other kind of tool set up with a, a camera or, or a, you know video going, then I can capture that also, and then kind of switch back and forth between my camera shooting video also, so I get like a couple different options there. So I'm kind of trying to use it to be like a little bit efficient of uh, record like or get a couple 
things going on tripods all at once and then sort of just get to focus on the type of photography stuff that I want to be doing at that time. So that's kind of a, a cool way to do it where you can, you can kind of, that's a difficult thing about like long exposures or about like video clips on tripods is uh, once it's going, you, know, you, you have to kind of wait for a while for that to resolve or for it to finish or, you know, for you to record it. So it really just occupies a lot more time. And uh, what's kind of cool about trying to get some of the, the, small efficiencies out of it is if you have a couple cameras or another dslr that's able to shoot video and you have the, the lenses for it or you have a, another like an old iphone that still shoots uh, you know quality hd um I, I just clip that into a, a tripod and then i'm able to run that i can run a time lapse with it or i can just capture the raw video and then run that into a time lapse later which is sort of what i'm doing with the, the clips that i'm capturing with the 5d too is if I get a, a, what I'm trying to do is set up like some spots where uh, there's like some clouds that are moving over an open valley. And what I'm trying to do is uh, get like a long clip of that so that I can stitch that together a half hour, maybe an hour if I can capture that much. And then I'm trying to uh, run that through and speed it up so that you get like kind of a time lapse motion where you see the shape and the movement of the clouds as they sort of uh, move and evaporate over the top of the valley. I think that's really cool. I like those shots and I've, I've done a few of them in the past and it's a nice time of year right now when the, the weather's sort of right for it. It depends on your, your location and, and landscape position, but it's cool. Yeah, you can kind of set it up when it's sort of partly cloudy and get a big view of the motion and sweep of the clouds as they kind of move across the sky. And it, it's always really dramatic when you... Uh, uh, when you increase the speed of uh, of the flow of that and stuff, so uh, those those are kind of tricky shots sometimes too, because like just little things could kind of mess it up or you know make it uh, sort of a more sloppy shot. You know, maybe if the, I don't know something bumps the tripod or uh, there's uh, some sort of distracting movement, you know, in the foreground of the image. When really you kind of just want to be seeing sort of you know more still landscape and kind of the illusion of the clouds moving quickly. Um, so there's just kind of little things that kind of make them a little bit more clumsy. They're viewable and still fine and probably fine for what I'm going to do. But I'm kind of trying to like figure out, you know, just to make some more photographically styled frames as I'm recording the video. Sort of what I'm trying to go for with it. Um, so it's cool. I'm trying to capture a bunch of video, trying to throw that onto an external hard drive. And then uh, I guess kind of ultimately the goal would be uh, really, I guess, just to have it around sort of archive for the moment. But then to sort of in the future sort of include this into some bigger or longer uh, segments about uh, like videos that I want to try and produce and then it's like oh I, I want to pull up a, a clip of me doing some camp you know like I'm, I'm trying to make a video about camping or something so okay well I got a bunch of these videos that are set up that are really like you know documentary shot quality videos that are a few minutes long of some activity taking place that I can kind of pull b-roll from or pull story from and so I'm going to kind of try and do that for some of the stuff coming up but um, some of it's you know like documentary style whatever about what I'm doing but, but a lot of it I want to try and be about uh, sort of the view or like as visualizations that are uh, that are video of sort of the stuff and the places that I'm going to so it's kind of cool I'm going through that and uh uh, really capturing a lot. Video takes up a lot of space. You know, you're just kind of like filling up those cards a lot faster, filling up drive space a lot faster. So it's cool and it's a, it's a well compressed, but I haven't really been able to jump in and uh, throw it into Final Cut and start um, start like clipping it together and anything that's a little bit bigger and more meaningful and stuff. I've kind of tried to clean up the clips a little bit so they're kind of prepped or ready to go as they're the piece, but um, I should kind of maybe go through and color correct them too. I haven't really done that. I, I've always maybe done that more as like a project specific activity. Like when I pull it into the edit, that's when I'll try to mess with the the color or the hue or the saturation or the, whatever effect i can throw onto the the video to sort of tune up the color a little bit but i haven't uh, i haven't really done that to the video in advance uh, or just you know like a b-roll clip in advance of it so maybe i'll wait for uh putting together some stuff but 
I'm also interested in trying to use some of these longer B-roll clips to kind of um, be, I guess, yeah, sort of like a, a visualization for something to go along with like a longer format uh, piece I'm trying to do. Well, like I want to try and do some live streaming. Like I was uh, talking about Twitch last week. I want to try and have some, some live streaming things set up where, uh, you know, or at least like there's uh, some feed of stuff that kind of comes from uh, my site. And so maybe it could be like a set of videos like this is what I'm talking about, sort of some visual visualizations of some things that I'm doing that are also placed with some some live stream thing that I'm talking about or, you know, just some kind of longer format stuff that I can throw in there and have uh, like a six hour a six hour stream or something set up to go out. And that's sort of uh, one of the content pieces that I have. But I'm not sure. I might, I might I'm trying to use more YouTube, more Twitch, more video based stuff. Uh, and I'm kind of interested in uh, in that as just uh, like one of the content pieces through the next couple of years. But uh, also, like I'm, I'm still really pretty focused on uh, like for work, you know, just the photography stuff. But it's part of the content marketing stuff. I think like uh, some of the video platforms are going to be pretty useful as they sort of see like you know like we've kind of seen like Facebook sort of deteriorate as like a social platform to kind of get information back and forth to each other. That's sort of where I would make most of my posts in the past. Where you kind of like dominantly like select Facebook to be that. Now, you know, like Twitter's kind of come and gone with some of that stuff and it's always, always sort of been like maybe a little bit of a second player. Instagram seems to be taking the place of that as sort of like your your main thing that you would see as a, a profile of somebody. So it's kind of interesting how it sort of floats around. But I think that uh, that uh, I've kind of gotten burned out on a lot of social media stuff over the last uh, couple of years. So uh, I'm trying to kind of move to more of like an asymmetric model where it's maybe more like this video model or the live streaming model. Uh, where it's also like pre-recorded live streaming, so I'm not even like involved in it, but uh, kind of like uh, some of the automated stuff. I saw also like some like um, the IFT, the service, if this, then that, that it used for years to do a bunch of the automation stuff uh, to kind of move content around to different sites. It's moved to like a pro model, so I think you have to pay monthly to get more than three if this, then app, then that app connections or applets, I think they call them. So now that's disappeared, or I think it's kind of um, kind of changing over to a paid model only. And uh, so yeah, I'm, I've, I've stopped using it, I guess, a while ago. Uh, but it was useful to, to have all those tools kind of uh, share some information around, and that did a lot of work for me that uh, I wouldn't have done if it wasn't automatic. That's for sure. Like you know, sharing stuff over to Tumblr or to 500px, or you know, just kind of duplicate postings for me all over the place. So I think for a while I had like four posts going up a day, and then that would be duplicated across you know, a half a dozen different networks of some type. So there's really like a lot of information, a lot of uh, content that, that ended up going up every day from me. And, and IFT was a huge part of what allowed me to do that as a service. That was really cool. If you were using it that uh, in a way that was that in depth and you wanted to pay for it, it would probably be worth it for you if you're kind of operating your business mechanisms with some of that stuff. I think that there's also now some good alternatives i think there's like a zapier is that like another service that's out there that does something similar to that of uh, kind of connecting app and api functions to each other i think you can kind of do some of those types of tools with that uh also i think maybe some of the services themselves sort of help you do some of those cross posting things a little bit more than maybe they they used to help you do uh, but yeah ift is uh, i guess kind of kind of changing its business model once again so uh maybe, maybe that's over but it's kind of i don't know it's fine. Um, so I've been out a lot in October. I think last time in the podcast I was talking about a bunch of the stuff that I was doing. Well, how would I say it? Um, I was getting rained on a lot. 
that's sort of the change up that happens in October. So last time I was talking about the different layers and stuff that I would have of like a, 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 a kind of a base that I was trying to figure out was like a wool layer, a puffy layer, or a down layer, and then a Gore-Tex layer over that as the shell to kind of keep me dry. And then I can take that off pretty lightly, throw it in a backpack, and then sort of change with the weather as the, the day changes and stuff. But uh, that definitely happens a lot through September, October, and the first parts of November where uh, the weather seems to kind of float between what seems like real cold and you're know, like kind of, I don't know, the high forties or something. And then you can get as high as like the, the mid or high seventies in some spots by you know, certain parts of the day, then it'll swing back over and you, you'll get hailed on or you get rained on or something. And then it's back to cold. Uh, so you can get some swings uh, back and forth through the day. Well, I've been trying to do some, some outdoor stuff and uh, like I was out in Eastern Oregon hiking around and stuff. And uh, there was a bit of rain that was coming down on me and uh, like kind of a bit of mist in another spot too. When uh, like I was over in, uh, sort of a more forest area, forested area over on the coastal range. Like I was getting misted on a lot, so I was trying to record a video, trying to have my camera set up on a tripod, and uh, you would just get kind of like this little mist, just a little bit of a drizzle, sort of blowing through. And it doesn't really like rain heavy on you, but uh, it really like collects pretty quickly on your electronics and stuff. So you have like your camera body, and you just after a couple of minutes of being outside, like your, like my rain jacket is pretty wet. I need to go through. It's years old now, and I need to go through and like. Oh, scotch guard it i think that's what we used to do our tents when i was a kid you, you know hit it with scotch guard hit it with a new layer of the the water repellent stuff it doesn't really bead as well as it used to on the exterior it kind of hits and soaks on the top but the gore-tex still keeps you dry underneath um but with the camera though you're just kind of looking at like the back of you know a camera it's got a screen it's got a bunch of buttons and stuff and then it's uh, just getting kind of soaked on for a while and then also if you like what i was trying to do if you're trying to record some video of the forest trees and there's like a little bit of sprinkle coming through it looks kind of cool and misty and stuff but the problem was is that just slowly and over a, a 30 seconds or a minute or so you just kind of get this collection of you know little droplets that would start to land on the lens and there really wasn't much you could do to stop it. A lot of the time when you're doing photos, like you can kind of you can kind of grab your your lens cloth pretty regularly and sort of wipe it down or kind of keep it shaded a little bit or keep the the, the lens you know straight down and then pull up kind of quick, get a photo, and then bring it back down. With video stuff or when it's kind of set up on the tripod, it's just going to kind of lay it out there for a longer period of time. And then it's just kind of gathering the water up on the front of the lens. So it was something to kind of deal with, but it's always sort of frustrating. But yeah, I have like a little a little lens cloth with me most of the time when I'm out and then I try and like dab it off or I have like my napkin. I try and dab it off. I remember like years ago, um, I would, uh, I remember being like at a waterfall. I think it was like maybe June or something like that. Pretty lousy weather day in June. I think it was probably a little drizzly that day anyway, but we were getting kind of close to a waterfall and the idea was to, you know, get up on the gravel bar. Then there was a pool of water that was sort of blown out from the waterfall then the waterfall itself as it went up into the air and then the creek above you know or that that top layer and stuff so what i was trying to do is get to the gravel bar and that's uh, where the water comes off hits the pool and then you get a bunch of spray that comes off of that you know for 50 feet 100 feet or something like that especially for some of these some of these bigger waterfalls and so you set the tripod up there and you try and get your photographs of the waterfall you know you know, the water coming down the, the kind of greenery around that big basin that is blown out of the creek over time it's really cool to see, but you just get a ton of water, wind kind of blowing up and, and landing up on the top of the front of your lens. And that would uh, just get like really wet. I remember my camera being soaked, that whole thing of just kind of like trying to like taking a soaked like paper towel rag and trying to like dab it over the back of the buttons and stuff. So I didn't get a bunch of, I don't know, whatever that would happen from water. Most of the time, cameras seem to do pretty well in outdoor kind of light rain circumstances. Some of the, the less expensive DSLRs, have more problems with it uh some of them that i've had had 
uh, like a coating on the screen on the back, you know, like on your color screen. That was kind of a problem. I remember like one time I, uh, yeah, the, the, some, some amount of water got on the coating on the back of the screen and then sort of like, I don't know, like sunglasses that might have a coating. It just had this weird kind of oily breakdown in certain parts of it. And, then, and it was like that forever. It, was, it ruined whatever part of the, the screen coating was there that sort of uh, made it sort of that shimmery, kind of purpley hue that you can get on it a little bit. But just that, that glossy sheen was, was rubbed off by uh, like a lot of water that had gone in the back of it and I guess started to, to erode it or whatever it was. But yeah, it damaged like the, the way that the, the screen looked for, or not the screen look, you know, the, the color and the stuff was fine, but just that top coating of it was dissolved a little bit. And uh, I've seen that like a few other times. You also get like some problems like getting the, the adhesives wet that are under the rubber of the grips on the camera those will start to come up over time i had like a, a nikon camera that had the grip start to come up because it had gotten wet a few too many times from outdoor circumstances like that where it gotten a little drizzled on or it gotten blasted with rain a couple times or something like that and just like a lot of use you know a real heavy use camera it's going to come about anyway but it definitely did because it was getting wet and it did when it was wet so i noticed that um but yeah, like being at the waterfall, getting slammed with rain and stuff, and there's really like nothing you can do but just like kind of tuck away. You know, you kind of turn from your twelve o'clock back over to your six o'clock and kind of kind of duck away from the the rain and wind that's blowing at you. Hide the camera in your shirt and kind of wipe it down with your shirt as like a towel, as best you can, and then pull it back up kind of quick and get your shots, or your your video or something. But really, like once the lens gets pretty wet, it kind of stays pretty wet. I remember surf photographers talking about. And this is when they're in their housing, not with like the lens and just the way that it is right there. But when they're they're with their housing in a wave, they'll like take their saliva and they'll get it on their fingers. It's weird, right? But uh, because like the water's like kind of making droplets on the lens cap or on the hood of the of the enclosure, the waterproof enclosure, there's kind of that dome where the lens would see out of. And if that plastic dome gets droplets of water on it, there'll be droplets of water in the photo. So I guess they take saliva put it on their fingers and then rub down real quick the front of the lens and i guess kind of the, I don't know, whatever it is and saliva made it to to not to not beat up as much that was a pro tip that was dropped one time right <laughs> seems weird so don't do that with your real lens when it's not in an enclosure that's kind of what i'd avoid so yeah i tried to to just use like lens cloths and stuff but even still yeah it's kind of a bummer when your, your stuff's getting wet i guess there's a difference between sealed gear and gear that's not sealed. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. There's, I guess, like a, a tier of cameras. Probably what ends up in the prosumer range now is what's considered, or what would probably be in the, the range of stuff that would be sealed. Um, and I guess there's like a range of lenses that are sealed too. I'm not totally sure what this is. I, apparently, it's supposed to help with some of this water stuff where you're not supposed to have to worry about some of the water stuff to as high a degree but like, because like maybe the buttons on the back are i guess like sealed with the gasket part of it's supposed to be like for for reducing the amount of dust that gets in the camera or dust that gets in between the gasket of the lens and the camera and i guess that's a big part of it i think like there's a line like the l glass or something in canon lenses or the ed glass on nikon stuff i guess it's supposed to have kind of a rubber gasket around the back side of it and that's supposed to be part of a, like a little gasket seal that's supposed to keep dust from entering uh the cavity there between the camera and the lens you know like that where it's supposed to be just that pure light coming in through the lens and i think that's a problem like when you get dust inside the lens 
that's when you really start to see over time like a degradation in the quality of the, the use of the lens and the, the image quality of the lens. That's why like when you pick up like a thrift store lens, it's kind of like, ugh, maybe it's sharp still, but it's, uh, it's okay. And to whatever degree it was quality in the first place, right? Um, but it's cool, I guess, kind of trying to keep it, the water out or, you know, like using these sealed lenses and stuff. I think it's like the 7D, like a Canon 7D. It was a sealed lens or a sealed camera. Uh, the 5D, I think the 1DS, or your now your uh, what is it? The 1DX now, I think those are like sealed use or like was the, the one one D Mark IV. I'm sure that's a sealed one. I'm not sure about the Nikon stuff, and I'm I'm really. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Sony stuff is not sealed in that same way. Maybe there's like some, some newer models that have weather sealing as part of it. Uh, but I think that for a while, a lot of that stuff was really pretty exposed. Even, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the features of it, you know, how the screen kind of pops out the back and sort of has like a swivel on it. And some of that stuff, you know, just the hinging on it was kind of exposed in a weird way. The ribbon cables and stuff were kind of really like, well, this is just like right out here. Um, and then it leads kind of right into the camera. So I'd really be surprised if they would uh, be able to qualify that as a sealed camera. Um, maybe if it's just kind of talking about like the sealed gasket between the uh, the lens and the camera, which was to protect like from water or rain getting in, into the the, ca the cavity there where the two pieces came apart. Um, and that's been useful in the past, but I don't know if it's really been that big of a deal. You know, I use like that real cheap nifty 50 camera and a lot of cheap Nikon cameras for a long time out in the rain or out in watered, air, you know, wet conditions. And it was really almost always fine. I never really had a problem of anything kind of acting up or acting weird. Um, like most of that act up weird is, you know, like the touch screen on your phone when it starts kind of wigging out and, and uh, acting like uh, it's getting multiple presses when uh, the screen gets a little wet and it can't really figure out which part is that, is that a water droplet or is that a finger that's doing it? You, know, you get like a bunch of kind of weird screen reactions, like your screen's broken or something. You get those weird kind of like things kind of opening up in the wrong ways. Um, so that's kind of happened before just on that sort of stuff. But as it goes for like most camera stuff, I've never really had a problem with it. You got to try and keep it dry. You try and keep like a little a little sham wow with you to, to dry it off when you can. But as it goes for like problems and stuff, I've almost never had it. And it's kind of part of the, the photographs that sort of use the gear to get the gear. And uh, uh, it's cool to keep the camera in good condition. And really, you can keep it in very good condition through rainy weather. But, um, you know, kind of like through day in, day out use, uh, I use like a, I think it was a Canon 60D. Yeah, and I used that for probably a year and a half in like 2014, 2015, and maybe kind of shifting around cameras there to 2016. But uh, I used like a, a, one of those SLRs like constantly for um, a bunch of interior, exterior photographs for some motorhomes and stuff that I was having a job working. And I used that in the rain through like a few different winters, which was cool uh to kind of or you know like just to get to get out or to kind of move around and be able to do that sort of stuff in uh, an okay way but i remember like a lot of time yeah just trekking around stuff in pretty wet conditions and that camera would be wet all the time and i'd have like a, a towel in there specifically just kind of like wipe it down after being out for a little bit to get a couple of photographs wipe it down again and then get like a, another round of photographs and then go back inside wipe the lens down get the interior set, wipe yourself down, get, you're getting like a bunch of water on your boots, water on your legs, your jacket's pretty soaked through at that time. So yeah, you'd have to take some breaks after a while. I'm like, uh, just like, oh man, Oregon winter, getting soaked with water. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the camera was fine. And that was like a less expensive sort of entry prosumer level 
Canon camera from years ago. And that was okay. It's not a big deal, you know. So it's uh, it's okay to kind of use and or we used it up definitely after three years. Like I wouldn't want to buy that. It was definitely the 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 burned out kind of bargain level camera equipment that you would find uh, on KEH. You know, you get those pictures and you're like, oh, it's missing like chunks of it. Weird. I don't know if I want that camera. Um, like you, see, I don't know if you've seen like on eBay. Like you'll see some stuff from people that just go really hard on whatever they're doing, and you'll you get these camera pictures of like, wow, was that like in a fire? what happened to that thing or like all the black is burned or, you know, it's like scratched away or something or like all the rubber's gone from the camera. I remember like looking at a few things like that is from these uh, like photojournalists, like sports photographers. They put, they've already put probably 400,000 frames on these cameras and they're still trying to sell them. So what was a $3,000 camera. They're still trying to sell for a $2,000 camera. I think it's pretty toast at that time. It's like better to find like a, a mom, you know, who used to have a nice camera who doesn't have time for it anymore and you can sell it and like kind of get like a low or light use camera uh, used. There's a great amount of cameras you can get in the used market, but it does get kind of tricky right at the tippy top there. Like for like, if you want to get like the, the highest end level gear, some of that used gear ends up getting used by like the highest end level photographers you would suspect. And it really gets burned out before they end up trading it off. Unless it was something that like is new in model and that they just don't like that can kind of happen. And that's sort of what to look for, I think. But if you're getting like a lens, that's an addition of a, like a telephoto lens from the late 1990s, there's still a lot of them out there and they're still kind of floating around a lot you can get you can get a lens from you know way back and it could be that that's been banged up or just like kind of used through a lot even though it's maybe like an l glass or an ed glass lens it's like kind of a nicer model it's uh it's a couple generations old or it can be difficult when it's a few generations old and really torn through lenses have been pretty much okay at least with like the elected ifat i'm kind of quick to pick or not pick a lens, but I'm really pretty forgiving too. I've had some weird lenses, uh, but for the camera bodies and stuff, that's kind of the digital piece. It's kind of strange because you know you used to put like a lot of effort into your lenses. The, the digital piece, it's, it's kind of important to have the camera body a little more functional, and it's kind of tricky when you're working with like uh, I, was, I was looking at one DX and one DX. I think Mark II. Am I getting that right? I hope I am. I think it's a, that uh, kind of that, that full-bodied Canon. Uh, Canon camera that has you know like the big battery grip base on it, so you can go to the the vertical grip, hold it up, you know, in portrait mode, and then still have a, a frame to take pictures with. Sort of like the like the Nikon D5 or something, or like what the One DS used to be. Uh, I think they switched over the One DX, right? So uh, I was looking at those online. I was looking at some used ones for the Mark One, and like I was mentioning, it, it would say like it had more than 250,000 frames taken on it. I think they're really only rated, even you know, like those high-end professional uh, shutters are really only rated to go to 300,000 frames. Whereas you can find like a lot of these 5D Mark Threes and Mark Fours, or a lot of the Sony cameras, you know, that maybe have 15,000 or 30,000 frames exposed on them. And that's even for someone that was pretty into or interested in doing a season of wedding photography, you know, which is still like a pretty high use and kind of heavy wear. Uh, circumstance for a camera a lot of times it's great and like uh, one of the cameras i got that was one of these uh, canons it was from uh, like someone's like youtube video project it was serious it was it was a for real thing i guess they had like a studio and it was some media guy and he had uh he got like a, a 5d mark three to to do for some businesses like youtube or not youtube but you know like kind of private industry video tutorials that were supposed to sell something or whatever it was i don't know some like long conference thing but uh they had uh, like a, a Canon 
5D Mark III that they used for those videos. They put it on a tripod plate. They put that plate into a tripod and they had it sit there kind of against like a white background with a table on it where they would kind of do whatever demonstration thing. And they did that for three months. They made their 80 videos. They put those up online for the business and then they amortized the cost of the project by selling off their equipment. I bought the equipment that was a $2,400 camera for 1100 bucks. Boom making some savings they didn't even really fire any frames they just did video stuff for a while uh so it's been like a great camera that along with like the other one that we had that was uh you know sort of a similar circumstance and stuff so it's cool yeah you can really get like good used gear out there but you can also uh, get kind of an older curmudgeon that's uh charging like 80 percent of the msrp value and it's uh really not as much fun to pick up that stuff or to end up, you know, we're getting like a weird piece of used gear. I've gotten some weird stuff. Even that, that Nikon D2H that I had for years was a sort of lower quality one. It was really banged up. The bottom had a bunch of like gouges and scratches on it. Like, you know, you just set it in rocks or something for years. I don't know how you even get that stuff and like kind of grinding on the, the little bits of the corners and stuff. I was always surprised by it. Um, but like the Nikon D3 that I had later, that didn't have really any of the same uh, kind of cosmetic damage pieces, but it was also still like a used camera. And over the years of use that I used it, even in pretty heavy kind of backpacking, sort of sweaty, dusty, like uh, th throwing my bag over a creek and having it being caught by someone else kind of conditions, it was still, you know, just looked fine. It looked like a nice camera and stuff and it worked fine too. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird, you know, just like, what, well, what is heavy use then? And maybe it's uh, getting rained on every day, having the plastic kind of warp, being in the heat a lot, uh, getting like a lot of heavy use and like heavy wear and rub and stuff every day. And so that's uh, sort of what you get when... Uh, like you're working with it all the time. And that's definitely what I did with like what I was saying with that like 60D. And I think later than that, it was like a 70D. And then I switched over to the Sony A6000 stuff, uh, which was nice and really light, but it was also kind of like a different sort of camera equipment environment. And those were fine too, but you know, just like getting it wet or kind of keeping it protected was something that I took kind of more seriously at that point. Cause I don't think they're like as heavy duty, especially like the A6000s and stuff. But um, at that time I was pretty ah, fooey, fooey with the rain. I don't want to be in the rain. I'm going to go inside when it rains. That's kind of how I think I felt after a couple of years of that. But, uh, but yeah, like getting rained on and stuff, walking around out in the woods with the camera is sort of what I've been doing with the tripod, uh, trying, to get, uh, trying to get some video clips and stuff. So on days that it's not raining, it's not ever raining a lot, but I'm kind of trying to get a little more used to uh, like, well, it's you know, sprinkling a little bit right now. And that's a thing that happens as a standard in Oregon, especially in the Willamette Valley here on the west side of the Cascades, is you get these waves of rain. It'll be like 20 minutes of rain in the fall, you know, through this time between uh, kind of mid-late October and probably mid-November before we get sort of a, a heavier winter wave of weather that sort of starts to come in through the valley. But it's weird what you notice when you're outside a lot through the fall and the winter and stuff. You kind of see how the, the weather acts in a, a few different ways. But it doesn't rain all the time. It kind of goes in waves and stuff as those clouds move over. And so if you wait like 20 minutes or so, it sort of shifts around. Definitely there's days where it rains, you know, just nonstop and stuff. But uh, for a lot of those days that we sort of kind of count off as rainy and stuff, it's cool, like kind of being out in the woods and, or being outside and stuff. You kind of wait out the rain a little bit, and then you see it kind of break for a while, and then you can kind of do, do some other thing or just kind of keep it going and stuff. So those on and off uh, sort of partly cloudy, partly rainy days and stuff have been cool. Uh, through the fall to get some textured kind of different sort of video and photo stuff going and uh, yeah trying to get some travel and stuff in so it's been good but uh, but yeah i'll probably wrap it up here for this episode of the podcast i appreciate you guys tuning in and checking out uh, some more episodes and uh, going out more through the last little bit here of october doing some uh, whatever i can for halloween trying to just stay focused on the photo stuff for a while and uh, hey, i got a birthday coming up too november 11th got a 
I don't know, try and do something for that too. But um, but yeah, so as we're kind of going going in a little deeper into the late fall stuff, uh, it's cool, it's fun, and I'm uh, trying to sort of do the last little bit of cool kind of outdoors trips that I can do that are sort of more of that summer theme focus. You know, you kind of have like a little bit of time before it starts kind of flipping over to the wet stuff, and uh, then I'm gonna start burning more fires and maybe doing stuff a little closer to home too. We'll see. I don't know. I kind of want to do both this year. I want to go out to like Nevada here pretty soon. Maybe that'd be cool. I hope I get to do that. But we'll talk about maybe some of the time on the podcast. So if you want, you can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support to make a supporting donation to the podcast and to me. And I'd always appreciate it. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I will talk to you again next time.